Hello, I am your host, Samuel Hansen, and you're listening to Strongly Connected Components, Episode 20, brought to you by AcmeScience.com. On this week's episode, I speak with the president-elect of the Mathematical Association of America, as well as professor at St. Olaf College, Paul Zorn. I spoke with him at MathFest in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, about the intersection of mathematics and humanities, mathematical exposition, as well as the importance of using many different points of view in teaching calculus. Here we go. Uh, you are currently president-elect of the MA. That is correct? true. Right. Okay. I become president after the January meetings in New Orleans. Oh, okay. so it's a two-year term. I start my actual presidency, as I said, at more or less the end of January of 2011, and then until 2013. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> oh, got a question in even before the introduction this time. I'm not. I'm here with uh, Paul Zorn, professor at St. Olaf uh, University College, College mm-hmm. St. Olaf College, and president-elect of the Mathematical Association of America. Thank you for giving me your time. You're welcome. Uh, now, if if I read correctly on the internet, uh, it, I'm assuming it was because it was from the MAA website, you were born oh. and raised in India. Yes, that is true. Uh, now, this this is going to sound not necessarily incredibly politically correct, but you do not look or sound like someone who was born and raised uh, in India. So, uh, were your uh, how exactly did that? How did this come? Yes, about? yes. Well, my family. Indeed, I am not an Indian. Um, I was um, I was indeed born in India. The the history of that goes back to my great grandfather. One of my several great-grandfathers, who was a Lutheran missionary from Germany to India in the 1870s. Um, he and, and a couple of his relatives were all, were all Lutheran missionaries um, at that time. After eventually, somewhat later, our family emigrated to the United States from Germany, and um, the kind of India, um, India missionary thing stayed in the family. So my father and two of his cousins, as a matter of fact, were all Lutheran missionaries in India. So um, that was the reason that... <clears throat> um, that's why I and my brother and sister were all born and raised in India. So we, we went through, um, through grade school and high school in India and then came back to the United States to go to college or university. Now, while you were while you're in college, you majored in mathematics, but you also majored in English? Yes. Now, that is not a combination, honestly, I've ever seen before. I think it's a combination that it would be nice to see more of, but why, why that pairing? Well, one observation is that the combination is not as unusual as you might think. Really? Especially at, at um, liberal arts colleges... Universities. I, I was an undergraduate at Washington University in St. Louis. Um, <clears throat> it's, a, it's a university, a research university in most respects, but 
particularly the undergraduate part of it, has a strong liberal arts emphasis. And so it really was not unusual then or now. Um, it's not at all unusual at St. Olaf College, where I teach now, for mathematics majors to have a, a double major or a concentration or minor or something like that in, <clears throat> in another area, perhaps um, including a, a humanities area, art, um, music actually is quite common as a double major. I'm not sure exactly why, why I chose those two. It was given my family background and the fact that my my relatives going back for quite a number of generations have been academics and ministers and theologians and things like that. The, the sort of verbal side of life um, was pretty natural for me. Um, so in a sense, it was a bit more of a reach for me given, just given my sort of family background and expectations and so on to go into science or mathematics. But I found myself very interested in that. Um, <clears throat> even though I went to high school in India, I did so at a time when the, when the now infamous new mathematics was in vogue in the United States. This was in the mid-60s. Um, as it happened, our high school in India used some of the, um, the school mathematics study group textbooks that were, that were then new. Um, they were very informally printed. They looked like they were basically carbon papered from a, with an old-fashioned <laughs> typewriter. Um, and they were, they were weird in some respects. They were very different from anything I'd seen before. But I loved this stuff. It was really interesting to me. There was a, an emphasis on set theory, some combinatorics. Um, re, it, it was mathematics of a different type than I'd ever seen before. And so if there's something I would attribute to, um, to which I'd attribute my special interest in mathematics, it may actually have been that exposure at about ninth grade when I was 13 or 14. Um, when I came back to the United States and, um, and went to, to undergraduate school, I continued to have these two interests and I sort of kept trying to choose between the two, but eventually decided, well, I don't really have to choose between the two. I'll sort of do both. And, um, so I did. And so when you decided to continue down the academic path, uh, why did you end up choosing mathematics over English for the continuance of your education? Um, I think the answer is actually pretty mundane. I figured at that time, this was in the early to mid-70s, that um, I probably had a better chance of actually making a living in mathematics than I did in English. Um, whether that was the correct choice, I guess, is unknowable at this stage. <clears throat> but once I did, I did decide to do mathematics in graduate school, I, I went to the University of Washington in Seattle as an undergraduate, I mean, as a graduate student. Um, I really felt I had made the right choice. Um, 
as it happens, the at least at the time when I was doing my graduate work at University of Washington, um, the comparative literature department and possibly the English department just so happened to be in the same building as the mathematics department. <laughs> and so this, I sort of continued to have some of the advantage of being around both mathematics and, and English at the same time. And, and I remember enjoying having lunch sometimes with English graduate students. But, you know, I had really cast my lot with mathematics, and, and I have no regrets about that. It, 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 it was the right choice for me. Um, I think I've been able to continue using things I learned as an English major in my mathematics career. I've done a lot of writing in mathematics and um, academic experience with English, with literature, and so on have, have all informed those parts of my mathematical career. I mean, speaking of that, a lot of times when one reads uh, at least mathematical journal papers, not so much you know the more popular uh, style <clears throat> of books, you do, at least I get a sort of sense that the people could have used a few more English classes. Uh, do you think that there should be maybe a class or something for people who are going into mathematics as a career to help them with uh, writing, with exposition inside of mathematics? It certainly wouldn't be a bad thing. It, it has, as I said, been very useful to me to have had, to, to have had some formal training in in writing exposition, that kind of thing, it's it's been useful to me in my in my mathematical career. Um, I, I'm not sure. Having said that, I'm not sure I would want to require it of all graduate students. But I think it would be a good and useful um, thing to have available as an option, okay. at least. Um, particularly faculty who mathematics faculty who who go on to teach in liberal arts institutions. Um, for whom undergraduate teaching is really the main part of their sort of daily mathematical career, that kind of training would be very helpful. During MathFest, I did more than just speak with the well-known mathematicians. I also spent some time slumming with those much more like myself. During the graduate poster session, at the Omni William Penn Hotel during MathFest 2010, I walked around with a trusty tape recorder in my hand and spoke with some of the presenters. Here are a couple of the short interviews that I got. My name is Candice Jewelry, and um, this is work I've been doing for my thesis on the algebraic structure of the Riordan group. And so far, they've been studying, they've been using these matrices a lot in combinatorics, but much has not been studied about the structure of the group. And so, um, first I give a brief introduction of the group, and then a few properties that, has, that have been known about the group, and then I have some new results that show how we can generate stochastic um, reordered matrices. And this theorem here tells us when we have a stochastic reorder matrix and this is when G0 is 1 and when G1 is not equal to 1. 
And then we have two new subgroups, the power bell and the derivative subgroups. And I just showed that they indeed form subgroups of the reordering group by using the two-step subgroup test that is closed under multiplication and then closed under taking of inverses. Uh, what was the uh, uh, reason that this that you decided to uh, do this work for your thesis? Well, um, my advisor he's a he likes combinatorics, and um, I've worked with him before for my undergraduate degree, but I didn't really want to do combinatorics. I love algebra, so I decided to look at the algebraic structure of that instead of actually working with these um, sequences as as they're being used in combinatorics. Daniel Parry. So where are you from, Dan? Uh, I'm from Drexel University. Okay, where where is Drexel? I don't know. Philadelphia. Oh, okay. And so uh, you're you're here at MathFest 2010. You're in the graduate poster session, right? Yes. And uh, what what is what is your presentation? I study zeros of polynomials related to partition theory. Okay, and and so specifically, uh, what you're doing plane partitions, right? Yes. Okay, and, and so what's the difference between normal partition and a plane partition? Uh, a, pl a normal partition is uh, you take a number n and you split it up into smaller numbers. A plane partition is instead of splitting it up into smaller numbers, you split them up into smaller numbers in an array with uh, a two conditions to them. As you go across the array, the, the, num the numbers themselves have to decrease. As you go down the array, they have to decrease as well. Okay, and so like, what sort of steps, what did you bring in in order to find your zeros? Um, I had to use asymptotic techniques They're called uh, the Harding-Ramondron circle method and Laplace's method. Okay, and, uh, have, and is this the first time you've been presenting this? Yes. Okay. Well, I have presented this at a couple talks before, but oh, okay. I've never done a poster. Okay, so it's your first poster. I, have you ever been to one of the large uh, math conferences before? Uh, I have been to. I just went to Cyan last month. Oh, okay. Across the. Uh, a couple blocks down in the uh, David Lawrence Center. <laughs> uh, so, uh, how, what do you what do you feel about math conferences in general? Do you enjoy them? Do you find them slightly tedious? It's it depends on the culture. There's different different math conferences have different cultures. Do you in general try to go to kind of conferences? Have been to any like smaller conferences or? Uh, not. Oh, okay. Re no. <laughs> there. Now let us get back to my conversation with President-elect of the MAA and professor at St. Olaf College, Paul Zorn. Okay, uh, you, you continued looking at things like you know, one of your research interests is actually listed as uh, the role of mathematics inside of liberal arts uh, as, a, as a whole. Now, I can think of some use, but what are the main times that you would see mathematics with inside of a liberal arts curriculum, inside of liberal arts and academia? Well, I guess I, I, I guess I see mathematics as a, really among the liberal arts. Um, a, a good reason for, there, there are many good reasons to study mathematics. Um, some of them have, some of the best reasons have to do with, um, with important uses of mathematics in, in sort of honest to God, real life applications. And I don't, think I need to argue for the, for the value <laughs> of that, but um, some training in mathematics and the kinds of thinking that mathematics 
requires of students, I think would be extremely valuable for, um, for virtually all undergraduate, um, for students heading for just about any kind of undergraduate degree. Um, mathematics is, is, in my opinion, too often treated in undergraduate education as, as, a, as a kind of necessary evil or a, um, you know, some kind of a inoculation you need to receive against, against some disease. That's the wrong way to think about it. Mathematical thinking is a, is a species of, of critical thinking, um, of careful, it involves careful use of language, um, real care with um, reasoning, with understanding what hypotheses are, what conclusions are, what you can really conclude, what you can't, um, how to weigh evidence. All these things are, are, are part of the daily work, basically, of mathematics, um, and really ought to be more of the daily, of, of a, they, they should play a bigger role than I think they often do in, in other undergraduate disciplines, like you know, political science, like English, you name it. Uh, speaking of, of that idea that it, they should play a bigger role, and I completely agree with that, there's a bit of an argument that goes on over what uh, type of math we should teach people who are not going into the sciences. Because in general, like the pinnacle in high school is usually calculus. But I know that uh, at least in a TED talk recently, uh, Arthur Benjamin stated that, that, uh, that statistics might be the more useful discipline to go into. Do you have an opinion on that, that divide over whether or not, say, liberal arts students should be trying to reach for calculus or should be trying to reach for a different area within mathematics? Um, there, there, should, there should indeed be a variety of directions that liberal arts students could, could do mathematics without necessarily going on to major in it. I agree with Art that um, that statistics is is a one extremely useful direction that that non math major intending <clears throat> students could go. Um, in in some ways, I I guess I feel that statistics, particularly for those students, may be a, a more a more useful, more applicable. Um, area of mathematics than, than calculus. <clears throat> statistics, um, the, the essence of statistics, I think, is, is um, wise, quantitative, um, data-driven reasoning. How do, we, how do we cope with all the data that's around us all the time? And um, statistics offers is is our could be described as a set of tools for doing just that sort of thing. Um, the problems that calculus solves solve um, those are also incredibly important problems um, in understanding the way the natural world works and so on. But for students who, in in order to really use calculus effectively to to understand the natural world in new ways, students really have to go on a long ways beyond 
elementary calculus. So for, for a student to take only elementary calculus um, and not further mathematics, I would by no means say that it's valueless. By the way, I've written a calculus textbook myself. Yes. <laughs> so I'm the last person to argue that that uh, that uh, calculus would be valueless. But um, but a good case can be made that uh, that statistics would be a better use of the limited time that many students have to devote to something like this. I'd just add to that, though, that I would oppose the idea of of forcing too many students into, or even encouraging students to take statistics too broadly, because um, although I think, as, although as I said, I think that may well be the right choice for students who really know that they're not going to go on in mathematics, it's not necessarily the right choice for students who, who do go on further in mathematics. And many students, especially when they begin college, they don't really know whether they like mathematics or not. They probably haven't really seen, um, they haven't seen the good stuff in mathematics yet. And so, so I, I would, I, I would try to make both the, the sort of calculus slash analysis and the statistics slash data um, pathways to mathematics available and attractive to students. Now, you, you brought up your textbook. The textbook's title is uh, Calculus from a Numerical, Graphical, and Symbolic Points of View. Mm. We've may have messed Just that up a right. little bit. Yeah. 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 And that, that does sound rather different than a textbook that I may have studied from uh, because they did not take in those points of view in general. So what made you decide to bring in these different points of view as opposed to the more classical algebraic analysis yeah. well um, one of the one of the things that has made me feel that calculus that, that students early experiences with calculus could be improved and deepened by by seeing it from several points of view is the perception that um, well when I took calculus for instance um, I think I took it by the way out of out of Thomas, G.B. Thomas's calculus text. This was be, even before Thomas and Finney, and I think I paid six dollars and ninety-five cents for my calculus <laughs> oh, textbook. Oh. At the um, and that was a new book, not a used book, at Washington University Bookstore. But in any event, um, my experience of of calculus, and in fact, the version of versions of calculus that I've that I taught frequently in my younger professorial days seemed to me to overemphasize the the algebraic or symbolic manipulation side of of calculus I would never deny that those viewpoint that that viewpoint is really essential to understanding calculus the the difficulty though or the danger is to is to make calculus to present calculus or give students the idea that calculus is is really nothing more than sort of formal symbol manipulation. Um, you can you can teach a gorilla to write down the derivative to say that the derivative of x squared is two x or the derivative of x to the seventeenth is seventeen x to the sixteenth. But being able to say those things and and even to manipulate expressions 
in that formal kind of way is is just a small part of what the underlying ideas of calculus are really about. So, so I've always felt that um, a way to really force attention to to the main ideas of calculus, like the derivative, the integral, the notion of rate of change, the notion of accumulation. Um, a good way to do this is to go beyond the symbolic, the, the process of manipulating symbolic expressions and, and um, emphasize and require that students also master the geometric or graphical and also numerical perspectives on these things. If you can see, if you can see anything from a variety of perspectives, it, it's almost a pun, but I really believe it. Seeing things from several perspectives allow, gives you a chance to, to, to kind of get into more depth on a subject. It's not a flat object, it becomes a higher dimensional object. And, and so these uh, other perspectives can help foster that kind of deeper understanding. Okay, well, thank you very much for your time. You're it's welcome. Been a pleasure You're speaking welcome. with you. And that is it for another episode of A Strongly Connected Components. I have been your host, Samuel Hansen. If you want to leave any feedback for me, you can email me at samuel at acmescience.com. And if you want to do me a huge favor and possibly get your name mentioned in the end credits of a future Strongly Connected Components podcast, go over to iTunes and leave us a review in the iTunes store. Love to see them, and it would also bump up our results in the search so that more people can find us and enjoy this show just as you are now. You can also find out more information about the show at acmescience.com, where there is always a blog post about every episode, and you can find out about combinations and permutations, the slightly odder and definitely weirder sister of this show. As always, Strongly Connecting Components is a Creative Commons Attribution Share-Alike podcast whose music is brought to you by Hard and Firm for the theme, and then SP12, you can find it at opsound.org for the interstitial and the outro. Thank you all for listening.